I am always talking about how we product managers need tools to help augment our cognitive capacities. And sometimes that's so we can use our cognitive capacity for other things, but sometimes it's just because no matter how much cognitive capacity we have, we sometimes forget things, or we make mistakes, or we miss handoffs. And of course, we're not the only ones who are challenged in this way, us product managers, and it can arise not just from cognitive lapses, but as soon as you have teams involved, for example, you have potential for misunderstandings and bad handoffs, things like that. Atul Gawande tells a great story about this in his book, The Checklist Manifesto. He talks about the insertion of a central line. It's a common medical procedure for people who are given courses of intravenous drugs. Basically, the doctor creates a port in your body, often in the chest, and threads a catheter up into the jugular vein for easily infusing medications. It's a pretty common procedure, but it was also a common source of hospital-acquired infections, which of course are extremely dangerous and costly for both the hospital and the patient. So a researcher named Peter Pronovost decided to see if he could reduce this infection epidemic across hospitals, and his solution was to create a simple five-step checklist that included easy steps like clean the patient's skin with antiseptic, and step four, wear a mask, hat, sterile gown, and gloves. Five simple steps, each of them well-known and well-understood to the physicians and nurses who perform these procedures. Their initial results of implementing this checklist were so dramatic that they weren't sure if they were real. The infection rate had gone from 11% to zero. And eventually, when this checklist was adopted across most hospitals in the U.S., in the first 18 months, it saved more than 1,500 lives and eliminated more than $175 million in extra costs. That's pretty impressive results for a simple five-step checklist. Now, the point is that even highly cognitively capable people, like doctors and nurses, can forget to do simple things that they know they should do, and a checklist helps them be more successful. Now, this story comes from a fantastic book. I'll put a link in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 330, called The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. So now, let's map that little story to product management. How might we use a checklist to become better at product management? And I have a really good example of a checklist that I use and have re-implemented a few times at different companies. And in enterprise software, checklists are an underutilized technique for making our customers better. So I center this episode on a particular area in product management where my cognitive abilities are pushed beyond their capacity. But then I'll expand it into some observations about how we can do a better job of helping our customers succeed with similar ideas. Fire. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition. Hi, this is Nels Davis, and you're listening to All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. In this podcast, I try to answer the questions I and others have about the realities of product management, product marketing, going to market, and critical skills for business success like persuasion and influence. My goal for this podcast is to give you the best mental models, tools, techniques, and secrets for creating value in the world and delivering solutions to problems that need solving. This is episode number 330, and as always, you can find all the links I mentioned in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 330. So as I said, in this podcast, I like to give you new ways to think about product management, new mental models, and sometimes that's all it is. It's a new way to think with no associated tool. 
Now, I always hope that these rants will result in behavior changes in my listeners. New ways to think aren't much use if they don't change your behavior somehow, right? But this episode is more than just some ideas. I'm going to remind you about something you might or might not be thinking about as you go about your product management job. That's the mental model part. If you're not thinking about these things, it's probably causing you pain. And I'm going to give you a great tool that you can start using today. And then I'm going to tell you about how to apply this same way of thinking to solving your customers' problems. When I'm writing a feature spec or a requirement, I have to remember a lot of different areas that might be impacted by the change that's caused by this feature spec or by this feature. So for a reasonably complex enterprise software product or even a component of such a product, there can be lots of these impact areas to be concerned about. Here's an example from back in the days when I managed Accept360, which was a product planning and requirements management tool for product managers. Really great tool. Unfortunately, it has died. Now, in Accept360, you could put a resource estimate on a requirement, essentially assigning individuals to work on the requirement, part of its product planning capabilities. So at one point, we decided to add the ability to treat teams of developers as resources. So in addition to assigning individuals to a requirement, we could assign teams, which were made up of individuals, to the requirement. So we had to create this new element, which was a team, which was made up of people, and we had to be able to assign it to a requirement as part of its estimate. So this obviously has a lot of implications for how we did resource management, how we rolled up the implementation cost of a requirement, how we even created these teams, and so on. But there were a lot of other maybe not so obvious impacts of this type of change as well. And if it was going to work, I had to remember a lot of different places the change would impact. Things like the table views where we might list out the resources assigned to a product release, and the API that let us create programs that would do the estimates or put new estimates onto requirements, the reports that mentioned resources, and so on and so forth. These impact areas, they were and are a cognitive minefield, at least for me. So what happens when you forget to deal with one of these impact areas? Well, you have to rush at the last minute to add more capabilities, or you simply release a new feature with important capabilities not yet enabled, and often with existing capabilities broken because the API might have changed underneath, or sometimes you pull the feature altogether because you forgot something. So, of course, you try to avoid this happening, And as product managers, we assume we can manage it all in our head. But after this happened a few times to me, and unfortunately it did happen, and in many different contexts, I created a solution. It might seem simple, but I solved this problem with a checklist that became part of my template for new features. I call it the impact areas checklist, and whenever we had a problem like this, I'd add that as a topic to the impact areas checklist, a new impact area. So my list of impact areas eventually contained 27 different items from API to reports to documentation impact to customization settings. And I'll link to a PDF of the impact areas list from Accept360 in the show notes so you can see what I used. It had a lot of things that are sort of specific to Accept360, but some of the items on this list are things that you probably have to worry about as well. The way this worked, it was pretty simple to use. For each topic, you could either enter NA, like as in this feature does not have any impact on this topic, But for other impact areas, you'd write out the nature of the impact and what had to be considered to address it. Once this checklist got into full use, it prevented a lot of errors of the types that we'd had in the past. I wouldn't say it saved lives, but it certainly saved some cost and some headaches. This is the first action part of this podcast episode. 
there's really three things I would recommend you start doing today for your own impact areas checklist. The first thing is to start keeping a list of the impact areas. You can learn about these from your failures <laughs> or from when there's mistakes made. Now, there's some items that you probably know in advance you can start with. Things like reports and permissions and security and roles, upgrades, best practices for using the new feature. In other words, what might have to be documented. New terminology. New features often result in having to have new terminology in the, in the product. So you can see the complete list, as I said, of the 27 items we use for Accept360 in the document I linked to in the show notes. The next step is to create a template based on this list that you've come up with, ideally one that you can easily associate to each new requirement or feature, whatever you call them. Then the third thing is to define a process to use the list. Each impact area can take one of really three values. One of them is not applicable, meaning that the impact area is not applicable, of course, to this feature. Or there might be a narrative description of the interaction of this impact area with the feature, which kind of goes along with an idea of some action that you need to take or that you need to have the developers take. Or there might be a note on there to say that you need to revisit this impact area later. Sometimes you don't actually know whether this particular impact area will be related to the feature or not, and you might want to revisit it. This is all great for you, the product manager, and of course the rest of your team who will be referring to this information as well. But what about your customer, right? The impact areas checklist solves our problems, but our customers have problems as well. So let's think about how we can give our users checklists. Especially if we have enterprise products, our products are supporting our users as they do business processes. Now in my space, HR as a service, that includes things like hiring and firing people. And as you can imagine, there are lots of steps some of which are very important and have legal, financial, and governance implications if you miss them or mess them up. I'm not saying we aren't supporting our customers through these processes, but I am suggesting we could consider improving that support using checklists. But there's also two more really important observations to make. One is about our own products. What processes do our customers go through in relation to our products that would benefit from a checklist to make sure they don't mess, miss anything? We do have checklists to help our customers go through these processes, but the way that they interact with these checklists is typically by calling us, and then we help them walk through the process. So they're not really built into the product at this point. So it's not a terrible situation, but there's opportunities to improve, as there always are. My product is considered one of the better solutions in its space, and what that means to me is that our competitors also are not providing all the checklists they could be. And in fact, this is a typical low-hanging fruit situation. There's lots of products out there that could support checklists but don't have them because they simply are capabilities and they don't include knowledge. One direction to take after implementing the impact areas checklist for yourself, of course, is to think about what processes your customers are going through on a regular or even an irregular basis and how you could support them with a checklist. But there's one more observation. We think of checklists as a sheet of paper with a list of topics and some checkboxes. And that's a really easy thing to implement in an analog world, especially for a set of steps that occurs more or less at a point in time and for which the steps always occur in the same order. You can also think of this as maybe a list in Excel or a Trello list or something like that. But the fact is that we live in a digital world now, so our checklist can actually have any kind of behavior that we want it to that will help our customers. In particular, it can be a lot smarter than a piece of paper. Now, I would say that an Excel spreadsheet is not that much smarter than a piece of paper, at least as typically used. One thing that I always think about is the idea of having a tickler function. For processes that take place over a long period of time, such as creation of a functional specification, for example, 
or carrying the information needed to successfully fire an employee. At a certain point in time, as you go through the checklist, you might not have the, the answer yet. You might not have all the documentation together yet. And in that case, it would be really nice if you could tell the system, I'm not ready to answer this particular question yet or to check off this box, but remind me in a week or two to come back to this item when I know more. You know, if I'm talking about a customer checklist for preparing to fire a bad performer, I might not have all the documentation ready yet. And so I want to put a reminder into the system for me to come back in two weeks when I've had time to gather that documentation. That's something you can do with a digital system. Maybe you'd call that a smart checklist. That's a lot harder with a traditional paper-based checklist or that's implemented in an Excel or Google Doc. But, you know, computers are really good at this kinds of things, reminding us about things in the future and keeping track of the time going by much, much better than human beings are. So another thing you can do if you have these tickler events in your checklist, if you're doing it on the impact areas checklist, you can do a reporting on features that are assigned to the next release that have incomplete impact areas. Or if, you know, if you're preparing to terminate an employee, you could do a reporting on, have I completed all the things I need to do to successfully terminate this employee? How do you take these ideas and use them to help your customers become more successful? Well, so here are three things that you can start doing today to start helping your customers. These will take a little longer than the first set of three things. So first of all, put yourself in your customer's shoes or go talk to them and figure out what parts of their job are causing them cognitive strain, where they have to remember stuff that they actually forget sometimes, where there are team miscommunications, whatever it might be. You might even already know about some of these challenges if you're talking regularly with your customers. Next step is to create a checklist for them for one of these processes. Even if it's not automated, it might be extremely valuable, and even offering such a checklist might be differentiating for your product. The third step, of course, and you won't be able to do this third thing quickly, but it's to obviously to automate this checklist for your customers. Now, it's very likely this will be a differentiating feature for your product, because as I said, most products don't go this far, and yet all of our customers are always struggling with processes that they need help with, that they need reminders about, that they need to make sure they keep track of. I think it's low-hanging fruit for adding knowledge to your system. So let me summarize quickly. There's a lot we keep in our head, and there's a lot of places where miscommunications can cause mistakes to happen across the team. We should really try to get this stuff out of our head so that our head can do other things, and also because we forget, and also because we're all humans. So checklists can help in some of these areas. In medicine and commercial flight, to name just two domains, checklists save thousands of lives every year and prevent millions of dollars in loss. Now, the impact areas checklist is a great, easy example of a checklist that will help you be a better product manager. It's totally practical, and you can start to use it literally today. It's also a good example of the type of thing that product managers usually try to solve with brain power. But even with our pathetic tools like Word and PowerPoint and Wikis and Jira, we can create a basic automated solution, thereby saving our brain power. Now, as a side note, we should start insisting that our product management tool vendors support these kinds of things. In the meantime, you can automate them yourself if you take a little bit of time. Our customers need checklists too. Often this is based on our knowledge. Now, we're going to be talking to them about their processes, but we're going to come up with the with the checklists and the processes for them. Checklists are also an easy way to put knowledge into your solutions. I'll put a link to a YouTube video I did on the power of putting knowledge into your solutions called Help Me Think Better. 
I'll put that in the show notes for more on the differentiating power of putting knowledge into your product. And because we're digital now and we're domain specific, we can do a lot more with these checklists than simply have a list with checkboxes. More specifically, we could very easily implement tickler functionality, which almost no tool has, but almost all jobs require. So let me tell you a final story about Atul Gawande, which I thought was really funny. There's a good interview with him on the NPR site, and I'll put a link in the show notes, in which he talks about using checklists. And there's a really great line. He was initially resistant to using a checklist for his own surgeries. He's a Harvard-based surgeon, and of course, they're the worst for thinking that they're infallible. Then, as he was writing the checklist manifesto and helping other hospitals implement checklists, he felt he had to do it himself so as not to be a hypocrite. He says... I have not gotten through a week of surgery where the checklist has not caught a problem. Basically, he's sold on it. And this is a fact. It doesn't matter how smart we are. Checklists are going to help you if that's the right solution for the, for the job. In the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 330, you will find a link to Atul Gawande's book, The Checklist Manifesto, the NPR interview with Gawande, as well as some of my other podcast episodes and articles related to managing your cognitive resources and giving your customers more knowledge in your product. And I have that PDF of the Impact Areas Checklist from Accept360 for you to refer to. You'll also find links on that page to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like the podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes or clicking the Recommend button in your podcast player. In Overcast, it's a little star on the episode. Other players are going to be different. Your recommendations help others find the podcast, so it really helps me out and spreads the word. And of course, you can also share the podcast with your friends and colleagues directly just using email or whatever. I do have one other big request for you. So I always try to give you new ideas and valuable ideas that you might not have heard before and which often aren't part of the regular product management curriculum, which I know is kind of a joke. There's not really such a thing as the regular product management curriculum. And in that vein, I'm going to be starting a series of interviews on this podcast, but unlike many other product management podcasts, I'm not going to be interviewing product managers, at least not that many. There's a lot of podcasts where product managers are being interviewed. Instead, I'm going to interview the others in the organization with whom we have to work, like product marketing managers, development managers, customer support and customer success managers, salespeople, sales managers, a lot of different folks. You know, we are one of the locuses of communication between all these groups, and yet I'm not sure we always know what they need from us, and we might therefore be failing to provide that. And turning it around, I think they probably have information we could use if only we knew to ask for it. They know things about the market, about our customers, about what messages resonate and which don't, that would be extremely valuable for us to know about. But often we don't ask the questions, and we don't often even know the questions to ask. So I'm going to be bringing these other folks onto the podcast and asking them these questions directly. There are three main things I want to learn in these interviews. First of all, what do they need from us? Are they getting it from us? And how can we do a better job of providing it? Second, what do they have to share with us that we aren't asking for, or might even be actively avoiding, but would be valuable to us if we only knew? And what's the best way to interact to make sure this information is flowing? And finally, I think each of these different domains has their own set of mental models that they may be using on their day-to-day work or week-to-week work that might be really valuable for us to learn about as well and potentially make use of. We all pay lip service to the importance of the communication across the company and how product management has got a central role in it, but I don't think we always do as good a job of doing it as we should be or could be. 
And that means we're leaving money on the table in terms of having a better product that's easier to sell and ultimately improving our top and bottom lines. All this to get to the point of this ask. Your job, dear listener, and my request is to let me know who you think I should be interviewing, either the roles or if you have specific people you think I should reach out to, to have on the podcast. If you have ideas for questions that I should ask them, let me know. Are there specific challenges you're having working with another team? Have you always wondered what people on this other team even do? How they're trained? What they like and don't like about their job and about working with product managers and things that they have to fix about the information we give them? There's all kinds of questions that I think are really interesting, and I'd love to hear what questions you think are interesting. So let me know your recommendations as well as your questions, either by leaving a comment on the show notes page or by sending me an email at nils at nilsdavis.com or by dropping me a voicemail at 941-564-5743. All the links are at alltheresponsibility.com slash 330. This has been episode 330 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. And until the next episode, this is Nils Davis saying bye-bye for now. Ignition.